0: Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. In this week's episode, we have part two of Double Murder by John S. Endicott. This story originally appeared in the November 1942 issue of Thrilling Detective. The story is also included in our new collection, Thrilling Pulp Detective Tales, Volume One. That book is available at Amazon or directly from us at Brickpicklemedia.com/books, and that link is also in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2019. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. And with that, on with the show. Chapter 3. Trouble at Twilight. While the nurse was gone, Tracy experimented with his neck and found he could turn his head. Encouraged, he raised himself to a sitting position and propped the pillow on end against the head of the bed, to be in a better position for reading. He decided he probably would live after all. The pain from his nose was only a dull throb that could be ignored, and the headache was merely a matter of time. A copy of the blade, rather the worse for wear, and with the sections out of order was put in his lap by the nurse. Anything else I can bring you? She asked brightly. Nah, said Tracy. I mean, no thanks. Unless maybe I better have an anesthetic while I read about... Ah, skip it. I was kidding. The sports section was on top, with a headline about a 14-inning tie between the Reds and the Giants. He put it regretfully aside and hunted out the front page. The main banner head was by Mars out of Europe, but the Lambert case story was not hard to find. It was topped by a four-column head. Homicidal maniac, still at large, Slays 2 in downtown alley. And the three-column subhead in 24-point. Headquarters detective gives killer access to lethal weapon. Tracy winced a little. He closed his eyes and opened them, and the subhead was still there. Maybe he should have asked the redhead for an anesthetic to go with the newspaper. Well, the story itself couldn't be any worse than the heading, so he read on. Carl Lambert, 37, homicidal maniac, who escaped at 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon from Bellevue Asylum, killed two men last night at about 7.40 p.m. and is still at large. The victims were Walter Buck Miller, 35 of 115 Beecher Street, and H.J. Randall, 44, grocer of 330 Corey Street. Both killings took place in the alley between Cory and Main Streets at a point approximately behind the grocery store and living quarters of Randall. A knife, presumably once stolen from the back room of the tavern of Joe Hummer, 324 Cory Street, was a weapon used by the Homicidal Killer. Huh, said Tracy. Homicidal Killer. That guy, Crail, needs lessons in English. The bodies were first seen by Mrs. E. Scarlatti, who lives on the second floor at 344 Cory Street. She screamed and ran upstairs to phone the police. Her screams aroused the attention of... Tracy's eyes skipped down a few lines and caught the subhead in Minion Bold. Police detective, AIDS maniac. He gritted his teeth and read on from there. The maniac was unwittingly aided by Mortimer Tracy, 41, headquarters detective. Tracy, who was in an exhilarated condition, had been accosted in Quarry Street, shortly prior to the murders by Carl Lambert, who posed as a panhandler asking for money. Instead of taking Lambert in charge for begging, which was the detective's duty as the public officer, even though he was not on duty at the time, Tracy took him into the tavern of Joe Hummer and instructed Hummer... There was more of it, much more. That was just the start and it got worse, much worse. Tracy had read it through twice and was staring at a hole in the wall by the foot of his bed when the nurse came back. How do you feel, Mr. Tracy? Tracy looked at her suspiciously. Swell, why? I was wondering if you'd read the editorial page, too. Huh? What's it to you, anyway? Nothing, but... But what? It's none of my business, of course, but if you just read that article, you're feeling very sorry for yourself, aren't you? Well, sure you are. I don't blame you in a way. It was sheer bad luck. You might take a few drinks a thousand times, and nothing like that would... I haven't taken a few drinks a thousand times. That was the first time in, well, in years. And of all the people in town, he had to go and pick me. That's what I mean. You're still sorry for yourself. If you read that editorial, you might get mad and do something about it. Do what? Maybe find Carl Lambert before he kills anyone else. How? The newspaper said you were a detective. But listen, said Tracy, the whole department's after him. An organized search. What could I do? I don't know. I merely suggest you might read that editorial about yourself. Maybe you'd find it funny, or maybe... Okay, okay, okay. He began to look through the disordered newspaper. He heard the door close just as he found the editorial in question. He read the first half of it only. It was twilight again when Tracy left the hospital, and as he walked down the street, there was a tendency at first for him to wobble and weave from one side of the walk to the other. But by the time he had gone a dozen blocks was nearing the vicinity of Corey and 3rd Streets, Tracy got that straightened out. He was pretty well straightened out about what he was going to do, too. Although there were a lot of ifs to that. But the second step would be dependent on where the first took him and the third depend on the second. Yeah, naturally. He was going to do the unnatural thing for a case like this by conducting a natural investigation. That was the one thing which, according to what Cap Burton had said, the police had not done. Undoubtedly, they had drawn a beautiful dragon, and undoubtedly, they had every available radio card, a strategic spot, ready to investigate reports of a tall, thin man in ill fitting clothes seen at such and such a place. And probably, with every housewife in the city scared stiff, there were plenty of such reports for them to investigate. But there was one thing they had not done, apparently. They had assumed, undoubtedly correctly, that the crimes were the motive of the slains of a homie on the loose, and that once he committed them, he had lambed out, and only a fortune teller could cast where he could strike again. Sure, that was right. But, and it was the only but which gave Tracy a chance to work off what that editorial had done to him, they would probably ignored the very things that are strictly routine on any other murder case. They had not checked up on the scene of the crime and the witnesses, and probably they had not bothered to check what the victims were doing at that time and place. Of course, this Randall guy lived there and ran a grocery store, that would not be hard to explain. But Buck Miller didn't live there. What had he been doing? And what, another part of Tracy's mind wanted to know, did it matter what he was doing there? How could it help to find where this Carl Lambert was now? Shut up, said Tracy to that questioning voice in his mind. If he took that attitude, he had no way to start in on things. He might as well wander about the streets at random, hoping for lightning to strike him. What if he couldn't see what things like that had to do with finding Lambert? Heck, nine-tenths of the time there didn't seem to be any reason for going through the routine steps and solving a crime until suddenly you asked an ordinary question and got an answer you didn't expect. It was almost 24 hours after, well, after what happened 23 hours ago. 15 hours before 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. But 15 hours from now would be time enough to think about that. Let's see, it had been right about here that the guy had come up to him and bummed him for money. Had he seen the guy before that? Tracy stood there thinking, forcing his mind back through what seemed to be heavy fog. Sure, he remembered now. The thin man stepped out of that very doorway. Tracy walked up to the door. It was locked and there was a store for rent sign behind the glass panel. Well, it was a million to one shot, but he couldn't overlook even that odds on a bet. He took a ring of skeleton keys out of his pocket and found one that opened the door. He looked in using his flashlight and saw he need not have been suspicious. Dust was thick on the floor and had not been disturbed in weeks. Lambert had not been there before or after. He had merely waited in the door for a sucker to come along. Tracy strolled on slowly, thinking... A Mrs. Scarlatti, second floor at 334 Corey, a few doors down from Joe's, had, according to the newspaper account, discovered the bodies, and a scream before she ran into to phone for the police. That scream had been what had sent him in, Hummer and Crail out into the alley. Tracy turned in at number 334 and climbed a flight of steps to the second floor. He rapped on the door at the head of the stairs. Footsteps approached the inside of the door. Who's there? A woman's voice called. Headquarters detective. Are you Mrs. Scarlatti? Just want to ask you a few questions about last night. I, my husband isn't here. I can't open the door. The papers in the radio tell us not to open unless we know. Sure, wait a minute. He took his identification card out of his wallet and slid it under the door. It was pulled on inward and in a moment the door opened. Tracy took back the card and leaned against the doorpost as he replaced it in his wallet. Will you tell me just how you happened to discover the bodies, Mrs. Scarlatti? Why, sure, but... She looked at him, not so much suspicious this time as curious. "'But four times I told the whole story. "'To your Mr. Burton and to...' "'Tracy nodded. "'Yes, of course, but Captain Burton was taken off the case, "'and I want to hear your story myself. "'Of course, he told me most of it before they took him away, but...' "'Took him away? Why, what?' "'Oh, nothing serious. Appendicitis. "'But they operated right away and got it in time, "'so if you don't mind running over the story once more...' "'Obviously, Mrs. Carlyle didn't mind at all. "'And obviously, she told the story a great deal more often than four times. "'That number, of course, are not kind of friends and neighbors.' Like a snowball rolling downhill, the story had gained length with each telling. Her reasons for having returned from the store, which store it was, and all she had purchased seemed to go back almost to the time she'd married Scarlatti. And Scarlatti was a window cleaner by trade, and she always worried for Fury to fall. Even that fact was woven into the story. But Tracy listened patiently and learned nothing of importance. He leaned for a while against the other side of the doorway and then back where he had been and wished he had gone in and sat down to listen. Finally, the torrent of words slowed down. Uh, thanks. I guess that's all I need to know. You, uh, you told it so well you didn't leave any questions for me to ask. He took a step backward and started to turn. Then he said, Oh, by the way, you said you told your story four times. Who did you tell besides Captain Burton? Oh, the other three were reporters. They were the ones that were really interested. Mr. Burton just wanted to know whether I'd seen which way the killer ran, and I hadn't seen him at all. I had a hard time making Mr. Burton listen. The other three men were nice. One was a Mr. Crail from the Blade, and the other two from the Sentinel. Two from the Sentinel? Did they come together? No, of course not. He wouldn't have said four times he told the story. But why did the sentinel send two men? She looked at him, her eyes a bit puzzled. You know, I never thought to ask. Well, maybe the explanation is something like your case. I mean, the police sending two men. Hmm. It might be interesting if it was. Do you recall their names? The first was... I believe his name was Smithson, or something like that. Not very tall. Or thick glasses. Smithens, said Tracy. I know him. The other... "'He called late this afternoon his name. "'I believe it was Riley. "'Yes, I'm sure it was. "'Walter Riley.' "'Can't quite place him,' said Tracy honestly. "'I thought I knew all the Sentinel's leg man. "'What'd he look like?' "'Well, I'd say he was about 30, about your height. "'No, a little less. "'But he was stockily built, weighed almost as much as you do, "'kind of a yellowish complexion. "'I didn't notice the color of his eyes, "'but he had dark hair and kind of bushy eyebrows. "'He wore a dark brown suit and I think a yellow shirt. "'That's what made me notice his complexion. "'I guess that's all I can remember.' You've got a swell memory,' said Tracy. "'Did he show you any credentials?' "'I suppose he did, though. You wouldn't have let him in.' "'I... I don't believe he did.' "'I was sweeping the stairs when he came, "'so it just wasn't any question of opening the door for him. And I don't believe I asked for credentials. "'I could see right away he didn't look like anything like those descriptions of this Carl Lambert. "'And anyway, he looked familiar. I think I've seen him around.' "'Around here, nearby?' "'I think so. "'Say, you don't mean to think that he... that he wasn't what he was? "'Or that he was dangerous?' Not at all, ma'am, not at all. I just thought I knew all the reporters in town. I was trying to place him. But just the same, you stick to that idea of yours with not opening the door unless you know who's there. It's a good idea. Well, thanks a lot. Chapter 4 Long Shot Gamble Mortimer Tracy walked down the stairs more slowly and thoughtfully than he had gone up them. And when he went in Joe Hummer's tavern, he merely waved at Joe and crossed the telephone on the wall. He dialed the number of the sentinel and asked to talk to Walter Riley. Sorry, said the operator. You have no Mr. Riley here. He works days, said Tracy. I didn't think I'd catch him there now, but you can tell me how I can reach him. We have no Mr. Riley here, sir, day or night. There's a Mr. William Riley in circulation. He's not here now, but... I could have got the first name wrong. Is this William Riley a stockily built, dark-haired man of about 30? No, sir. He's quite an elderly gentleman. I have a list of all employees here, and there's no... Guess I just made a mistake, sister. Never mind, and thanks. He put the receiver back on the hook and walked over to the bar. Tracy, said Joe. You look like something the cat dragged in. Have a drink? Sure. Lemon soda, unless you got some coffee hot, maybe. Got coffee, with or without. Black. Say, this is about the time I was in here last night. We had the same news programs on. Turn on the radio, Joe. I want to see if there's anything new on Lambert. Joe nodded and flipped the switch before he went back after the coffee. The European news was still on when he came back with it. Listen, Tracy, Joe said, I read that blade business and I wouldn't blame you for your store Crail, but he'll probably be in here in a few minutes and, well, don't start any trouble, will you? He'll be in here, how come? I mean, he probably will. He's downtown after work, his his shift ends at 6.30, and generally drops in here for a few minutes on his way home, see? About this time, like last night. But listen, if you pop him one, it'll just make things worse. Okay said Tracy. There's the door now, is it? Joe glanced up. Yeah. Hello, Mr. Crail. Hi, Joe. Tracy. The reporter came on up to the bar, not too confidently. Say, Tracy, I hope you don't think there was anything personal in that article. I didn't. Sure, said Tracy. Shut up. I want you to know I didn't write that editorial. Shut up, I said. I want to catch this broadcast. He missed the first words. The voice on the radio was just saying... Are still searching for Carl Lambert, the escaped I who killed two men last night. The activities of the police department under severe criticism by... Shut it off, Joe, said Tracy. Just want to be sure nothing new would come in. Listen, you two, Crayle. I wasn't exactly myself last night. Were there any angles you know of that got overlooked, maybe? Crayle looked at him curiously. What do you mean, angles? You sound like you've got something, Tracy, Joe said. Give. Tracy shook his head slowly. Mm-mm. Well, maybe I got something, but I don't know what it is. Listen, do you know anyone fits this? About five feet, nine or ten, heavily built, sallow skin, dark hair and bushy eyebrows. Yesterday wore a dark brown suit and yellow shirt. Might be a newspaper man, might not. Joe's eyes widened. What oh, could another guy have to do with his Lambert? Another nut or something? That's silly. Yeah, but do you know a guy like I described? Or you, Crail? Um, said Crail. No newspaper man, Tracy. Unless Ronson of the setting, though. Nah, you wouldn't call his eyebrows brushy. And, anyways, I saw him yesterday and he wore blue serge. But say, how about Hank Widmer? Tracy whistled, then he drained the last of his coffee and stood up. Hey, said Joe, let us in on it. What could Hank Widmer have to do with Carl Lambert? I haven't an idea, Tracy told him, but I hanker to know. You mean a guy described with that was seen around here or something yesterday? How about that time of the homie killing a couple people? Tracy grinned. I was kidding you, Joe. It wasn't yesterday. It was today, this afternoon. But there haven't been any murders today. Not yet. Tracy went out, leaving them staring at him. It had been a nice exit, Tracy realized, as he reached the sidewalk. But it would have been less spectacular if Joe and Crail had known that he didn't really know a thing. He wasn't even guessing yet. He was merely trying to guess there didn't seem to be even an intelligent guess that would tie up Carl Lambert and Hank Widmer except through Buck Miller, one of the men Lambert had killed. Hank Widmer, and that was the reason Tracy had whistled, was Buck Miller's pal, both members, or they had not been so long ago, of the Koldoni mob. All right, where did that get him? A homicidal maniac who was not and never had been a criminal in the ordinary sense of the word, who could not possibly be tied up with the gangsters, had escaped from an asylum. Thus far, he had killed two men, one of whom was a Koldoni gangster. The other was a grocer, and where would a grocer fit in? Tracy swore and began to walk slower so that he hoped he could think better. What did it matter to the other guy was a grocer that Miller was a crook? Homicidal maniac didn't ask questions or care who him, whom he killed, did he? Then why had Hank Widmer gone to see Mrs. Scarlatti this afternoon, posing as a reporter in order to question her? Maybe it hadn't been Hank Widmer. That description was general enough to fit quite a few guys, of course. But if it wasn't Widmer, then Tracy didn't have a lead. Yes, for the sake of seeing where it got him, he would assume that Widmer called on Mrs. Scarlatti. Where did that get him? Nowhere. Except that his feet were taking him in the direction of the garage where he kept his car, and the only reason he could have for wanting that car would be drive out to the Green Dragon, where one would be most likely to run to Caldoni. Or hang Widmer. And most likely to run into trouble. If he tried arresting or questioning people without knowing even what questions he wanted to ask them. Then he laughed. Trouble? He couldn't be in any worse trouble short of occupancy of a slab at the morgue than he was in right now, could he? He began to walk faster, but by the time he had driven the car to the garage, he realized it was still a bit early for the Green Dragon. He drove slowly and roundabout thinking. The thinking, too, was slow and roundabout. If Hank Widmer had impersonated a reporter to question the woman who discovered the bodies of Miller and Randall, then it meant there was something fishy. But what? It was absurd to think of a tie-up between Carl Lambert and the Alky Ring. Could it be that? But no. There was no doubt about the, the identity of the tall man he, Tracy, had taken to Joe Hummers to buy a drink. There had been a picture of Carl Lambert in the Blade, and there wasn't any doubt about identity. The doorman at the Green Dragon did not recognize Tracy at first. Then he grinned as though the plaster cast on the detective's nose was funnier than Charlie Chaplin. If you like it that much, maybe I could arrange for you to have one, too. It's your best customer here. The doorman pretended not to understand. Who? Tracy glowered at him and walked on in. He stopped at the cigar counter and took his time about buying cigarettes and lighting one of them. He knew Caldoni was there. His car had been outside across the street, and there was a communicator that the doorman could use in talking to the barman in the main room at the rear. The doorman would understand him all right, and he would phone back that a man from headquarters was looking for Codoni. If Codoni made himself scarce, it might mean that he didn't want to be found, that he had found something on his, what would be his conscience if he had one. That would tell Tracy something, even if he didn't know what. If Codoni scrammed, well, there wasn't anything Tracy was ready to ask him anyway. Maybe there would be after he would seen Widmer. But Codoni, dapper and supercilious as ever, was lounging against the bar. He turned as Tracy walked in and smiled with his lips. Ah, he said, the conquering hero with the scars of battle. Tracy walked on past him without a word or a glance and opened the door to the room behind the bar. Nothing he could have said to Codoni, he knew, would get his goat as much as completely ignoring him. It was imagination, of course, but he thought he could feel the cold, angry stare of Codoni on the back of his neck. There were four men sitting around a card table in the back room. One of them was Hank Widmer. The game had just started, apparently, and was being played for small stakes until more players, suckers preferred, should join the game. Tracy ignored the others. "'Hello, Widmer. Want to talk to you.' Widmer was wearing, Tracy noticed, a dark brown suit and a shirt that was almost yellow. Widmer glanced up at Tracy ins- insolently, then turned back to the game. Lifting up the corner of the hole card, he had just been dealt and leaning backward appeared at its underside. "'Go ahead!' I can listen while I play. Not here. Down at the station. Some of the other boys have questions to ask you, too. You wouldn't mean this is an arrest. That's just what I mean. The dealer with an ace up tossed in a red chip. Too much, Widmer said and turned down his up card. Then he looked at Tracy again. What for? Suspicion. Suspicion of anything you want to be suspected of. Want to come along willingly? I just assumed you didn't, you didn't myself. He heard footsteps and knew that Codoni had left the bar and come over to the doorway. "'Looking for trouble, copper?' Codoni's soft voice said. "'I'd love it,' said Tracy without turning. Codoni chuckled. "'Go with the guy, Hank. He hasn't got anything on us, and I'll have a mouthpiece there by the time you get there. He can't hold you.' "'Thanks, boys,' Tracy said. "'That's too, too swell of you.' He stepped backward and his heel came down in the pointed toe of Codoni's shoe. "'Oops, sorry.' Tracy said, but he threw his weight the wrong way for an instant before he recovered his balance and stepped sideward. Codone's face was white as Tracy jerked around to face him and his hand had gone, also unconsciously, toward his lapel. But Tracy's hand was already inside his coat and Codone's froze where it was, then dropped. But his thin white face looked like a devil mask. Curse you, copper. Tracy grinned. I am an awkward blummox, ain't I? Even the newspapers think so. Ready, Widmore, shall I... The solid complexion man stood up and put his chips into his coat pocket. I'll keep these boys, he said. Back in an hour or two. Hold my seat. If you got a heater, better park it, Tracy said. The boys at headquarters might not like your carrying one. They're funny that way. Deliberately, he turned his back on both Widmer and Cadoni and started for the door. But he took only two steps and stopped and waited. Those two steps brought him to a point where he could see behind him in the glass of a picture that hung on the wall beside the door. It was not a mirror, but the picture was a glossy print and the light shone on it diagonally. In the glass he could see both men. No gun exchanged hands as Widmer passed his chief. Apparently Widmer was not packing one. But his hand darted the breast pocket of his coat and flipped out a small leather-bound notebook. He could only took it and slid it into his own pocket. Tracy let it go. That notebook could be some addresses of customers of the Alki ring, but the police knew most of them already. It would not be proof of anything in anyway, Tracy was not interested in Alki tonight. Not unless he could find out how, if at all... Alki without tax and Sir Carl Lambert. At the door, he turned and said, Don't count on getting him back too soon, Cladoni. It's tough to get habeas corpus on a murder rap. He watched Cladoni's face and Widmer's for reaction, but it was not a sign of anything except bewilderment and possibly a bit of relief. They both looked genuine, but you couldn't tell. Widmer grinned. I'll phone to let you know who I'm supposed to be murdered, Chief. So long. Before Tracy got into the car, he frisked Widmer to be sure about a gun. Widmer was not healed. "'Tracy headed the car toward 3rd and Cory Streets. "'If there was a light showing at Scarlatti Place, "'he would take Widmer up there "'and get Mrs. Scarlatti to identify him "'as her caller in the afternoon. "'Then it would be tougher for Widmer "'to wriggle out of explaining. "'He swung the car in at the curb "'in front of Joe Hummer's. "'If Scarlatti Place was dark, "'Tracy had another idea "'that involved the use of Joe's telephone. "'He was still working in the dark "'and maybe hunting in the dark "'for a black cat that was not there. "'But he had a hunch something might happen "'if he kept throwing monkey wrenches "'into the machinery. "'One monkey wrench would be the fact "'that Widmer, whether or not he talked would not show up any anymore tonight, either back at the Green Dragon or at headquarters where a mouthpiece will be waiting to spring him. You're waiting for me a minute here, Hank, Tracy said, and just to keep you from getting ideas. He took out his handcuffs and snapped one of them around Widmer's left wrist, the other to the steering post. What the devil are we doing here? Don't tell me you're going to leave me here and go in there to get tanked up. Tracy grinned at him, but didn't answer. He got out of the car and walked up to 334 Cory and into the areaway alongside the building. There wasn't any light on the second floor. He mumbled something and went up and rang the bell anyways. After a couple of minutes, a small, wiry Italian with curly black hair came to the door, dressed in an old bathrobe. He was about half the size of the woman Tracy had talked to. Mr. Scarlatti? Tracy asked and showed his badge. Please. Awful sorry if you have to wake your wife, but I'd like her to identify someone I have in the car. I'll bring him up when she's ready. The wiry little man shook his head. Elda, she's, she's not here. She's very upset about finding those men stabbed. I sent her to spend a few days with her sister in Buffalo. She, she no feel a good. Hmm, thought Tracy. She had pulled a fast one to bring herself a vacation. She'd enjoy the excitement of having something to talk about. But if she was gone, that was that. Well, sorry if it waked you up. But who you want her to see? She no see guy who stabbed. Nah, I know that. Another guy, one who came here to talk to her today. Said he was a reporter and gave her a phony name. So, for what? I don't know yet. Maybe you could guess. The wiry little man shook his head slowly. But, if he had talked to my Elda and tell her he's a... Say I go down and punch at his face make him tell why he... Thanks, but I've thought of that myself. I can handle it. He turned away, then remembered the monkey wrench policy. The guy, he said, is a member of Codoni's mob. That suggests anything? Again, Scarlatti shook his head slowly. No, but then maybe it's not so good idea to punch his face. Tracy laughed. It's still a good idea. Well, so long and thanks. He re- shouldn't. He realized, have mentioned the colonial angle. Now, if it came to a point of Mr. Scarlatti having to identify Widmer, he would have to get in touch with her somehow before her husband saw her. Obviously, the Italian had a normal fear of getting around with the gangsters and would advise his wife not to stick her neck out. But Scarlatti's reaction had been natural. He had not pretended not to know who the gangster was, nor given any other cause to be suspected. And that is all for this week's episode. Thanks for listening today. Just a reminder, if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production. We'll be back with a new episode next week, concluding our story.